Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that although it's freezing cold outside, you've given us fresh air to breathe, a roof over our heads, clothing, and most of all, you've blessed us with your son, Jesus Christ, who has paid the payment for our sins. And for that, Lord, we're greatly thankful. We pray that this message will be heard and acted upon. In Christ's name, amen. Good morning, Beacon of Hope. Let's turn to Second Peter. We'll go back to where we left off last week. Second Peter. And if you remember, Peter is writing to those in Asia Minor who are infiltrated by false teachers, false prophets, and he has written to encourage them to stay strong in the midst of this false teaching. Well, today's message will be titled, Three Attributes of a Servant. Three Attributes of a Servant. You might say, what does this have to do with being a servant when Peter is encouraging people to stand against false teaching? What has a lot to do with being a servant? Because in this very message, Peter himself is acting as a very faithful servant. A very faithful servant. Well, what is a servant? It's a person who is in subjection to another person. They show a certain level of submission. They are obedient to a master. A master. The root of that word has similar meaning to fasten with chains, to bind. So a servant is someone who's under the direction, the control, under the chains of a master. They're under a binding of a master. They're completely dependent upon another person, completely dependent upon another person. Well, in chapter 1 of 2 Peter, he says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. So first, he's an apostle. To those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he says, Simon Peter, a bondservant. He introduces himself as a bondservant and an apostle, a bondservant. So here's Peter writing what we read today some thousands of years later, and we see that he considers himself a servant. He does not consider himself as a high-ranking person who is higher than anyone else. He sees himself as a servant. And in verse 2, He calls Jesus his Lord. 
Jesus is the Lord. Remember, a servant is someone who is bound and chained to a master. And who is Peter's master? It is Jesus, the Lord. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. So he's not just Peter's master or Lord. He is everyone's master and Lord that claims to be a follower of Christ. What does Lord mean? It means supreme authority, master, supreme authority, supreme authority. In an environment today where there's many who do not respect authority, this comes as very aggressive, and it should be, because Jesus is your supreme authority. He is your master. Jesus himself called Peter to be a servant. To be a servant. He said to Peter and his brother Andrew in Matthew 4.19, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He didn't say, come alongside me, let's hang out, let's talk about things and discuss an equal option. He said, follow me. He called Peter to be a servant. And then afterwards, I will make you fishers of men. So in obedience, what did they do? They dropped their nets and they followed him in obedience. So a servant is obedient to their master. Other apostles also called themselves servants, just as Paul did in Romans 1.1. And James also did in James 1.1. They called themselves servants, slaves, bond servants. To who? To the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord commissioned the apostles to make disciples of all the nations in Matthew 28. So he commissioned them to make disciples. He didn't ask them. He commissioned them to make disciples, to make learners. A learner is obedient to what they learn. He also taught them, or he also told them to teach the other people to obey what they've been taught, to obey. That's in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. They're to obey the very gospel that has been presented to them. So in this epistle, this letter in 2 Peter, Peter also is acting as a servant to the people he's writing to. He's ministering to the people. He's serving them. He's taking care of them. He's a servant to the people because he's a servant to Christ. So as a servant to Christ, you begin to serve the people. The greatest example we have of a servant is Christ himself. He was... Indeed, the suffering servant. Let's go to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. You can't talk about being a servant without mentioning the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. This is a prophecy of Jesus Christ in the future who will serve the people by his death on the cross. 
Isaiah 53. And this will sound familiar to you. Verse 3. He, Christ, the servant, was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him. And by his scrouging we were healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And it goes on to talk about this suffering servant. You see, that's the very problem the Pharisees had when Christ arrived. They wanted him to come as a king to conquer, to come with his marching army to conquer the Romans. But instead, he came in a manger to serve, to serve. In Beacon, we have a saying, we're saved to what? Absolutely. He served the will of the Father in John 6, 38. He says, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He came to do the will of the Father. He served the Father's will. He also served as a payment for sin, and he also served as an example. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, it says the following. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. So he served as a payment for our sins and also as an example for all of us to follow. Also in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2, it says, walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So here we see also that Christ serves as an example and he also serves as a payment for our sins. He is the greatest example of what it is to be a servant. So if you think that I'm a Christian, I'm too good for this or for that. Think of Christ as a servant. Think of Christ as a servant. Jesus calls all believers of all times to be a servant. So I ask you today to think about this. Are you being a servant? Are you being a servant? Because Jesus Christ himself calls us all to be servants. Let's go to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. And we will see how Jesus called us all to be servants. John chapter 13. Starting at verse 12. 
And this is how Jesus calls us all to be servants, by his own example and by his own direction. So, when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you not, or do you know what I have done to you? This is Christ talking. He says, do you know what I have done to you after he washed their feet? You call me teacher and Lord. So they, they were calling him Lord, the master, the supreme authority. And you are right. So Christ claims of himself, yes, I am the supreme authority. And you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example, an example, that you also should do as I did to you. You should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. You are blessed if you do them. So once again, he serves as an example. He serves as an example, and he calls us all to be servants. He says, you are, if you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. He says, I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Christ is the greatest example of being a servant. And let's go back to 2 Peter, and we'll read the text for today when we think about being a servant. There's three attributes that we're going to go over here. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 is where we'll begin. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. That's our text for today. Remember, as you hear this message, are you being a servant? A servant. Not what job do you currently hold? Is it high enough? Is it important enough? But are you being a servant? The very job I'm doing right now, I am serving you. I am serving you by expositing God's word. Well, turn over to chapter 3, one page over. The reason people are, uh, Peter wrote this letter is the following. Chapter 3, verse 1. This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder 
that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. So he says you should remember the very words spoken by the prophets and the apostles that came from the Lord, from the master, the master. He also, so here we see that he is reminding them, reminding them. He's stirring them up by sincere reminder. He's stirring them up by reminding them. We see also reminding in verse chapter 1, verse 12. He says, therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things. Remind you of these things. In verse 13, I consider it right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. And then down in verse 15, and I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. That's another way of saying remembering, remembering. So we see that a true servant of God reminds others. They remind others. Well, specifically here in this text, he says, I will always be ready to remind you of these things. Well, what are these things? Well, going back to chapter 1, verse 1, the number one thing is the grace of God shown in his gift of faith. The grace of God shown in his gift of faith. Simon Peter, a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. God's grace in his gift of faith. They received the faith the same kind as the apostles. That's a gift. He's reminding them of all these things. What else is he reminding them of? In verse 3, by granting, God granting everything that pertains to life and godliness. In verse 3, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. He's reminding them of that. What else is he reminding them of? In verse 3, the knowledge given through the gospel. The knowledge given through the gospel. We don't just speak the gospel here once when you're saved and then you can forget about it. It's the knowledge given through the gospel that you need to be reminded of. In verse 3, he calls us through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. What is the, another thing that Peter is reminding us of? What does a good servant remind others of? And this is your job too, to remind others. To remind others of God's calling us. He's, his calling us in verse 3 it says. Who called us by his own glory and excellence. How about his magnificent and great promises in verse 4? For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. How about his giving us the divine nature in verse 4? The divine nature. What is the divine nature? It's our future holiness that we'll receive when we enter the kingdom of heaven. But you've also received a portion of the divine nature today through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, the indwelling spirit that enables the believer to be like Christ in all that they do. And we see those things that the Christian does that are like Christ in verse 5 through 7. Diligence, moral excellence, 
knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Those are all things how we can be more like Christ that the Spirit enables us to do. What else is he reminding the believers of? The usefulness and the fruitfulness of the believer who possesses and increases the fruits of the Spirit. So if you possess and increase the fruits of the Spirit, you will be useful. You will be fruitful. He reminds them of that. What else does he remind them of? The guaranteed entrance to heaven to those who possess those things and increase those things which the Spirit enabled them to do. He talks about that in verse 11. He says that, For in this way the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. To who? To those who possess these things and increase. And those are the people who are indwelt with the Spirit. So, it's supplied to them by the Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we see that, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we're his workmanship created for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So he's reminding them of these things because he knows they should be walking in these things. He's reminding the believers because by reminding them, that stirs them up. It stirs them up. We see that word stirring up in verse 13 of chapter 1. I consider it right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling to stir you up. How? By way of reminder. By way of reminder. So a good servant reminds people and that reminding them stirs them up. And also in chapter 3 verse 1 which we just went over. It says this is now beloved the second letter I'm writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of what? Reminder. So it's reminding one another that stirs us up. We need stirring up because we're asleep. We're asleep. We're inactive. We're lazy thinkers. We're stagnant. We need motivation. We need to increase our action. And Peter is doing that by reminding the people. And that reminding stirs them up. Let's go to James chapter 2. And I want you guys to consider why we need reminder and stirring up. We need stirring up. (laughs) Chapter 2, verse 14. We need stirring up. He says here, what use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him? So just imagine you're someone who says you have faith. So can that faith save you? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled. And yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body? What use is that? 
Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. Faith with no works is dead by itself. Well, those who are faithful will have the works. It will come. That's why we need stirring up to action. We need a call to action. And that's exactly what James is doing here. He's saying, your faith without works is nothing. Produce fruit. Produce fruit. Well, we just talked about what a, or how a good servant reminds others and brings them to action. Well, what does the false prophet do? What does the false prophet do? Remember that Peter here, Second Peter, let's turn back there. What does the false prophet do? Because this whole letter was written because of the false prophets. Well, the good prophet or the good apostle or the good servant reminds. But the false prophet does not remind. Not only that, they are themselves forgetful. In chapter 2, verse 20, we'll see how the false prophets are forgetful. And this is talking about the false prophets here in verse 20 of chapter 2. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So, if a person claims to be saved because of knowing about Christ. And then they are again entangled in them, entangled in them, and overcome those defilements. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness, so they know the way of righteousness. They've heard the gospel. Then having known it, to turn away from the holy commandment Handed on to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to its own vomit. And a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. So we have the false prophet who forgets. They were claiming that they were true believers. That they were true spokespersons for the Lord. But they forgot. They set aside the truth. The true knowledge of Christ. So they themselves are forgetful. You could probably imagine what they taught others to do. They taught others to forget. <laughs> In chapter 3, verse 4, here's what the false prophets said. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? About the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. They're saying, where is this promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. They're saying, forget about it. It's not going to happen. Get your mind off of the second coming right now. He's not coming. Where is this coming? It's not happening. They urge others to forget just as they also forget. Remember that the good prophet, the good servant leads others to remember, to stir them up. But the false prophet wants you to forget. He wants you to be lazy in a lull. He wants you to go to sleep and not to think, not to be sharp. In 2 Peter chapter 
3, verse 5 and 8. We'll read 5 first. It says, For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. It says, it escapes their notice. Escapes their notice. That's the same word as forgot. It escapes their notice. Verse 8, but do not let this one fact escape your notice. He says to you believers, don't you forget. Don't let this fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. Because the false prophets were saying, where is the second coming? He says, don't let it escape your notice. That for the Lord, a thousand years is like a day. This is a short thing. <laughs> don't let it escape your notice. It's the same exact root word as in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 9. Where it says, for he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Forgotten. It escapes their notice. That's what the false prophet wants to do. He wants you to forget. Let it escape your notice about the truth of the second coming. Forget what you read in Bible study. Forget what you heard in the sermon. This word means without knowledge. Forgetfulness means without knowledge. Because it's when you know Christ that you're saved. It's when you don't know him that you're not. This word forgetfulness means without knowledge. It means to be ignorant, to be unaware. Well, what do the false prophets use to encourage people to forget? Well, they use distractions. Distractions. What kind of distractions? Well, they want you not to believe in the true gospel. They want you not to obey the true gospel truth. When chapter 2, verse 2, it says, Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. The way of the truth will be maligned. They're trying to distract you. That word malign means to blaspheme, to speak evil against God. They want you to blaspheme the Lord. And because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. Chapter 2, verse 13. We talk about deceptions. Chapter 2, verse 13. Suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong, they count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. There are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. Reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. They're trying to distract the believer. They're not just coming right out and saying, hey, don't believe in Jesus Christ. They're trying to distract believers. Distract. The deceptions has the meaning that they're trying to seduce a person to sin. They're trying to seduce the person to sin. That's what a false prophet does, a true a true servant reminds believers to encourage them to fire them up. The false prophet wants you to forget, to fall asleep. Don't fall asleep. 
What is the second thing that a true servant does? A true servant speaks the truth to others. They speak the truth to others. Well, back to chapter 1, verse 12. He says, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth, which is present with you. He's saying to the believers, he says, you already know the truth. And not only do you know it, it's established with you. You already know the truths of God's word. How do they know the truth? (laughs) How do they know the truth? Well, it came from the true prophets and apostles. In chapter 1, verse 19, it says, So we have the prophetic word made more sure. That's the scripture. We have it, which is more sure. To which you do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns, And the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. True prophets spoke the truth to these very people that Peter is ministering to. And also, the apostles taught them already. 2 Peter 3, 2. They've also been taught by the apostles. It says in chapter, or chapter 3, verse 2, that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the prophets, the holy prophets, and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. This is why they already know the truth and are established in the truth. So these are not brand new believers. They already know the truth, and they're established in the truth. So you might say, why does that preacher get up there and say the same thing all the time? Because you need to be reminded. You need to be reminded. Even though you're established and you know, you need to be reminded. The believer who believes the word of truth, and they obey that word and practice that word, has assurance that his entry into the kingdom of heaven will happen. And that's in verse 11 of chapter 1. For in this way, by practicing those things, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. How do they know those things? From the truth that they've been established in, that they already know. So, a true servant speaks the truth to others. They tell the truth about everything regardless of what people feel. I'm going to say that again. They say the truth about everything regardless of what people may feel. Well, in chapter 3, verse 7, he speaks the truth about the end times regardless of what people may feel. Chapter 3, verse 7. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire. So here is Peter telling about the end times. It doesn't sound very pleasant at times, but he still tells the truth. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly man. Judgment, fire, destruction. That's right, we need to hear that. 
It's in the Bible. And yes, there's destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice. So he says, don't forget. Don't forget. Don't let this one fact escape your notice, beloved. That with the Lord, like we read before, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So then he talks about repentance. So in this very section, we have a lot of controversial issues in today's modern world. We have destruction of the ungodly. We have repentance. We talk about hell, fire. (laughs) It's all right there. So a true servant tells the truth, whether you want to hear it or not. I'm sure some of you have gotten messages from your doctors that tell you maybe what you don't want to hear. But I'm sure that you want to hear the truth and not a lie. So you can treat yourself. In Psalm 119, 160, and we know this psalm is the longest, and it's all about God's word and how great it is. It says in 119, 160, it says, The sum of your word is truth. The sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous ordinances, that's his laws, his, true, his word, is everlasting. His word is truth. How can you not teach his word if you're a servant? His true word, regardless of what it says. In John 17, 17, Christ says, sanctify them. (laughs) He's talking about his apostles. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. It's all about the truth. So a true servant of God talks about the truth. Let's turn to Colossians. And we're going to read a little bit more about the word of truth that a true servant needs to tell. They tell the truth to others. Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. And we're going to see how believers receive hope from the truth and how believers, how the truth causes believers to increase in good works. And it's all because of the truth that a true servant has told them. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 3, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So they have hope in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. They received hope of their eternal life in heaven because of the truth from the gospel. Because of the truth from the gospel. Which has come to you just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing. Does that sound familiar to last week's bearing fruit and increasing? From the word of truth. Even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. In truth. 
So it's not anything superficial or amazing, any payment you can pay to any ministry that's going to help you to grow. None of that stuff helps you to grow. It is the word of truth. So the true servant must speak truth to their brothers and sisters. Well, what does the false prophet do? (laughs) Well, if the true servant speaks truth, what does the false prophet do? They speak lies. Lies. That's right. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, it says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you. And what will they do? Who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. Denying the master, the Lord, who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. So they secretly introduce destructive heresies. And in verse 2, it says, Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be maligned. So they malign the truth. Verse 3, they speak false words. And in their greed, they will exploit you with what? False words. (laughs) So as the true servant speaks true words, the false prophets speak false words. Well, what else do they do? In verse 18, they speak arrogant words. Arrogant. Verse 18 of chapter 2. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity... They entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. They speak out arrogant words. This word arrogant means dazzling, capturing, cunning. Remember, they're trying to distract the believer with their cunningness, their dazzling, the shiny light stuff. Well, in verse 3 of chapter 3, they also mock the truth. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust. They mock the truth. They make fun of God's word. They slander it. Well, what does Christ say about these kind of uh, liars, these false prophets? In Matthew 24, 24, he says, For false Christ and false prophets will arise. And will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. That if possible means that's not going to happen to the true believers. But that's the attempt that the false prophets will try to do. They want to show their signs and wonders to mislead the people, to distract the people from the truth. Don't be distracted, people. Do not be distracted. By the lies of the false prophets. What are Paul's words about false prophets? In 2 Timothy, let's turn there. We're going to see what Paul has to say about these false prophets. It's amazing to me that the truths of Scripture are all over the place. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And we're going to read what Paul has to say about false prophets. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. He tells Timothy, he says, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. 
Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. So not only will they avoid the truth, but they turn to myths. To myths. So that's what Paul has to say about false prophets. Well, what's the third thing that true servants do? True servants. They prepare others. They prepare others. Your question should be, for what? (laughs) What do they prepare you for? Well, remember, we talked about how they're already established and they already know the truth. But what is he preparing them for? For their future. For their future. Well, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, let's go back to Peter. I hope you guys have a ribbon so you can go back and forth. <laughs> 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Peter says this. And just listen to the concern he has for their future. He says, I consider it right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent. He's talking about his body. As also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. Remember, we talked about these things in the beginning. He says, I want you to remember these things after I'm gone. He's concerned with their future. So a true servant prepares others for the future. For the future. Uh, We know that Peter was facing death. He was about 70 years old. He was facing an imminent death. Christ talked about his death in John 21, 18 and 19. He talked about the type of death he may face. History says that Peter was hung upside down on a cross. So he's concerned with their future after he is gone. Now, I just want you to imagine, you know you're about to die, but you're concerned about everyone else and their future. That's what a true servant does. A true servant is concerned with other people's future. He knows that they must continue to grow in their faith and fight the fight and keep pressing on to the kingdom of heaven. If any of you have read the Pilgrim's Progress, you remember that the character Christian and faithful were pressing on to the kingdom. It was not an easy uh, route that they had to go. It was tough. They had to press to the kingdom. It was not an easy sit back, relax And let's just enjoy the ride type of thing. Peter knew that it wasn't easy. He knew it was tough to enter the kingdom of heaven. It was a relentless, a steady, continuous, persistent pursuit. It's active and not passive. So he was preparing them as if a coach is preparing a football team for the next game. 
He was preparing them. Suit up. Put on your armor. Let's go to battle. Relentless. Steady. Continuous. Persistent. Well, you might say, well, I never heard that before. Well, let's see what Christ has to say about that in Matthew 7. I think Christ just told me to relax. Take it easy. Well, let's see what Christ says in Matthew 7, verse 13. Christ says this. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few, few, very few who find it. The emphasis is on few. There are few who find the narrow road. Few. Now just think about that when you see many, many people claiming to be Christians. Well, this says there's few. Few. Last time I checked, few means not a lot. (laughs) Well, look down in verse 15. It's very interesting. Beware of what? The false prophets. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Right after he talks about the entrance into heaven. Just beware of the false prophets. Remember I said they want to redirect you. They want to distract you. And then what will the false prophets say down in verse 21? Here's what they'll say. They'll say, Lord, Lord. And what does Jesus say about that? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So even if you claim his name, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, many, Lord, Lord, did we not, what, prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons? Remember the signs and wonders that the false prophets want to do? And in your name, perform any miracles? I performed all the miracles. I was on TV. I had smoke. I had it all. I did it. I was that guy. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I don't know if I want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. So Peter doesn't want them to fall. He's concerned with their future. Even after he's gone. He doesn't want them to become like the churches in Revelation. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 2. Now some people believe that these churches in Revelation are different uh, phases of the church throughout history, and others believe that 
these churches in Revelation are the future churches. It doesn't matter in this context because what matters is what Christ is warning them of, and we can all learn from this. We're in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. Chapter 2, verse 4. We see that the Lord Christ says, I have this against you, that you left, you left your first love. You left your first love. Guess what that word means? It means you deserted, you laid aside, forsake. You forgot your first love. Therefore, what does he say to do instead? Remember. Remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. The true servant tells the truth. Jesus' words were not to be mistaken here. (laughs) Remember where you fell. Or how about the church at Sardis in Revelation 3? Chapter chapter 3 here. In verse 2. Once again, this is a message from Christ to another church. What does he say? Right away, wake up. Wake up. What does the false teacher want you to do? Fall asleep. Be distracted. Be lazy thinking. I don't want to read my Bible. Wake up, he says, and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember. There's remember again. Wake up. Remember what you have received and heard. Well, what did they receive and heard? The word of God. And keep it and repent. There it is again. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. Pretty clear. It's kind of like those of you who had strong mothers or fathers. I had a very strong mother. And she said, boy, if you don't... You know what's coming next. (laughs) It's pretty obvious here. Well, what did the false prophets do? So remember, a, a a good servant encourages. He does all these things. He reminds people. He's concerned with their future. What does the false prophet do? Instead of being concerned with your future, they're more concerned with their own future. And what do they do in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 3? We see that they exploit others. They exploit others. It says, in their greed, the false teachers, in their greed, they will exploit you with what? False words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So even though they're trying to get you to sleep, Their destruction that's coming to them is not asleep. It's live and ready. They exploit the people. What does exploit mean? It means to take advantage of a person, to buy, to sell, to trade, to use another person for your own gain. It refers to the actions of a traveling merchant who wants to make a profit. 
They want wealth. They want followers. They want status. The false prophet makes a profit by drawing the people away from Christ, but to themselves. Remember the Pharisees, they don't want to give up their positions. What do we see in today's church with false teachers? The very same thing. We see false teachers with jets and saying they can't travel with other people. I can't be around those people. They make millions, but they give little away. They're drawing the people away from Christ for themselves. True leaders, and a leader is a servant, they desire the believers to profit from the blessings that God has bestowed upon them. False leaders or servants desire to gain profit for believers for themselves. So the true loving and caring person wants you to grow, not themselves. Well, what do we have to say about all this? What does it have to do with you? Well, first of all, we have to remember that the apostles and prophets were truly servants. Truly servants. Christ himself was a servant. And Christ calls all believers to be servants. That includes us. So therefore, I ask you in the beginning, are you a servant? Ask yourself that question today. If you are, continue with the good work and increase. If not, be a servant by reminding others, by speaking the truth to others, and by preparing others. And so, if there's anyone here today that is not prepared for their future in kingdom of heaven, if you are wondering about those things, I say, repent and believe the gospel. Believe that Christ Jesus is the Savior, that he has died for your sins. If you believe in him, you will have eternal life and shall not perish. I say, believe in the truth. Avoid the penalty and error of sin, which leads you to eternal punishment. And only through Christ Jesus can you be saved. I say believe that today. And then the eternal kingdom will be abundantly supplied to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we look forward to your kingdom and all its glorious majesty and we look forward to serving you there lord as we serve you here and lord we thank you for all your abundant blessings you bestow upon all believers of all time and we ask that you can bless us today with your spirit enabling us to do good deeds that you've prepared beforehand we pray all this in your son christ jesus name who saved us from our sins amen